Angel, if I'm not the Slayer, what do I do? What do I have to offer? Why would you like me? I saw you before you became the Slayer. What? I watched you. I saw you called. It was a bright afternoon out in front of your school. You walked down the steps. For you for everyone to see and I worried that it would be bruised or torn and more than anything in my life I wanted to keep it safe to warm it with my own that's beautiful are taken literally incredibly gross I was just thinking that too. Welcome to Welcome to Storybrook, Book Four, Chapter Eight, Sororicide. Yes, this is season three, episode nineteen. A curious thing, which really, yeah, I didn't get it either. Is this a reference I'm missing? It, I guess it, it has to be because I suppose a curious thing does happen in this episode. If curious is uh, some sort of neat code word for bullshit. Oh, really? You're just gonna jump right into the bullshit that happens this episode? Okay, so remember how. In the past, I was like, I can't tell whether or not Mary Margaret storylines are bad anymore because I dislike Mary Margaret so much, even when she's being reasonable. I'm like, ugh, Mary Margaret. Sure. I'm pretty sure this was just bad. Okay, I have to come clean here. Mm-hmm. The first time I watched this episode, back when it first aired, I thought this was a really clever workaround for the problem of how to cast the curse and not kill David. Now, really? Yes. Okay, here's the thing. I was taking as a given that David and Mary Margaret make sacrifices without a price. Yeah. Well, so see, so the question is, ooh, how are they going to make this sacrifice without it costing? See, we all know that David and Mary Margaret's thing is that they make sacrifices, but they don't really because they don't have to go through with them. It's just enough that they offer. This, this takes it to a level where I'm like, okay, are they aware of this? Are they aware that all they need to do is pretend to make a sacrifice and everything will work out? Because this really seems like they're aware of the fact that there are literally no consequences for any of their actions. I mean, I see now that I should have been questioning why they don't have to pay the price instead of wondering how they would get around paying the price. But my first time through, I just thought that was a clever way to get around paying the price. Hmm. Hmm. Okay, well, we should probably save that for when it actually comes up. Uh, so we open on the show's bread and butter, which is somebody riding really quickly through a area on a horse. Yeah, and then we cut from that to the show's other bread and butter, which is Lana Perea killing it. Oh my god, listen. I don't even want to talk about what's happening in this scene before we talk in depth 
about what everyone is wearing because it's amazing. Everyone brought their A game to this scene. Seriously, uh, Regina is wearing this. It's this sort of high silver snowflake collar. Okay, first of all, there's a lot of snow in this episode, and not the one I hate. The other one. The kind that falls from the sky. Exactly. It was a distracting amount of snow. It's snowing in the fairy tale flashback, and it's snowing in current day Storybrooke. It's snowing enough that I thought, why is it snowing so much? And I have to wonder if they were setting things up for next season, which will be the frozen season. Maybe. But kind of a subtle foreshadowing. And as you said, Regina's high collar, which is just... I, I Okay, pause. I love how she's not the evil queen anymore, but she's still going to dress the part. With the gorgeous black dress with the tightly cinched waist and the high collar. And this high collar has a bunch of crystals around it that make it look like it's covered in snowflakes. And to compensate for the fact that she's got a lot of bare area where her cleavage and clavicle are. She's got this really huge necklace, which sort of counterbalances. It, the whole thing pulls together very well. It's gorgeous. And look, even Snow. Okay, yeah, I want to talk about this. Snow is actually wearing a really good outfit. She is wearing a gorgeous red velvet dress with slashed sleeves with gold underneath the slashes. Amazing. David is wearing his... What Miles called his Red Prince outfit. Mm. And, you know, it looks fine. Aurora and Philip are also in this scene. Yeah, they're... I like... I like their normal costumes better than this. This is just sort of they're there. Oh, really? I loved Aurora's white coat. And Philip has a, a leather doublet with a chainmail collar around it. I just... Everyone really brought it this scene. All right, now let's talk about what happens, which is Snow and David being terrible. Well, Snow and David have just discovered that they're pregnant and they're going to announce it to the kingdom. Yeah, because in troubled times like these, what the kingdom really needs is hope. And the best way to have hope is to know that David and Mary Margaret are fucking. Are successfully fucking. I don't think you need to have a baby to call fucking successful. Mm, Point. Regina points out, she's like, okay, we have, A, we have a wicked witch to deal with and B... Aren't there, like, a ton of infrastructure issues we should be dealing with in front of... Like, there are so many more important things than the fact that you two are having a baby. Yeah. And then Belle shows up. Belle comes running in. She's like, Rumpel's alive! Rumpel's alive! Yeah, Belle was the person who was on the horse. So Belle comes running in and is like, Hey, I heard everyone had brought it costume-wise, so I'm wearing a really great short dress and and, a brocade-detailed cloak. Belle's new role seems to be filling in narrative spots because she runs in and she's like, Rumpel's back from the dead and he absorbed Neil and he's under uh, Zelina's control. These are This is all of the information you need to learn here. Well, uh, And I think that's happening because she's the researcher now. She's the exposition dump character. Yeah. But also, she's not the only one in this episode who spends a lot of time filling other people in on what's going on. After she does the exposition dump, you know, Rumpel's alive, blah, blah, blah. Aurora and Philip are like, hey, we're characters, and uh, turns out we were kind of aware of this. Like, the Wicked Witch was blackmailing us not to tell you what was going on. Yeah, we the Wicked Witch was blackmailing us to not tell you that she's around, and also that her goal is to steal Snow's baby. And she said that she would hurt us if we told you. And... Right on cue, Zelina shows up and turns them into flying monkeys. Which no one else in the scene seems even vaguely concerned about. Like, Zelina flies in, turns them into flying monkeys, and Snow's like, eh. What an 
inauspicious end for our favorite characters who really should be the lead of this show. Yeah. Yeah. Also, Zelina heard that everybody was slaying it on the outfit department, so she decided to wear gloves that clash with the color of her skin. She's the worst. Zelina is the worst. She's wearing green gloves that clash with her green skin. It's terrible. See, I thought her whatever CGI effect they're using on her skin looked better than it normally does this episode. You disagreed? Yeah, I did disagree. I felt like you could really tell that the paint was splotchy in this episode. Really? I thought it was smoother than it normally is. Normally it looks really fake. And here, I mean, normally it looks really fake CGI fake. This it just looks like someone put green skin paint on her. I don't think it is CGI. Other than other than the scenes where it is like crawling over her flesh, that's obviously CGI. But usually I think it is just skin paint and it doesn't look like it was applied very evenly today. Mm. Well, normally it looks sort of chunky and unreal so them going with a lighter layer i felt like it worked but <laughs> so zelina fly flies in turns aurora and philip into monkeys and then freezes everyone in the room so she can grope mary margaret it's super creepy she just wanted her to know that she was here to steal her baby not right now but you know eventually and it's best that everybody know what's going to happen before it happens. That's the best way to have your plans not go awry, right? Seriously, yeah. The best thing is to let everyone know what you're planning so they can start stopping you. Uh... I mean, at least Regina was vague with the whole, I'm going to destroy your happiness. So we time cut to eight months later. Yeah, we cut to eight months later and we're really tight on Snow's belly so that we can see it's eight months later. But you guys, she's exactly as pregnant now as she was in the flashback. Yeah. Well, the the actress is actually pregnant, right? I know. I should give them a break because the actress is actually pregnant. So when people nitpick things mm-hmm. on television shows or in movies, uh, things like this, where, you know, obviously she's actually pregnant. They did what they could do. They, she was wearing a dress that minimized her pregnancy in the last scene, and she's wearing a dress that emphasizes it now. Or when you talk about shows that take place in New York, and it's like, how did they afford that giant apartment? I mean, not Friends, because Friends clearly explains how they afford the giant apartment, but other New York shows. And it's like, well, they can afford the giant apartment because we need to fit the cameras in. You mm. know? It's suspension of disbelief. And I understand that that's the answer to nitpicks. But the answer to that answer is... The show has to make me want to suspend my disbelief. And this show does not. I have no desire to give this show any credit when it comes to snow. So, speaking of suspending disbelief, Leroy comes in to do that thing that they have to do now all the time, where he's like, I talked to the fairies about stopping Zelina, and they couldn't do anything, because really, if the fairies were allowed to use their powers effectively, we would have no show. Right, and he's... He has to say that Zelina's way more powerful than the fairies, which, bullshit. Serious bullshit. But I do love the sequence between Grumpy and Regina. Honestly, it's giving me life. These two characters have such great chemistry with each other. Not, like, sexual chemistry, but chemistry as characters. Mm -hmm. They bounce off each other really well. Right. Well, Snow says, oh, God, this is the same scenario we were in before. An evil, a super powerful evil witch wants to destroy our baby. And Regina's like... Wait, I didn't want to destroy your baby. I just wanted to destroy you. Because we know Regina would never destroy Emma. Regina's like, this was... My thing was all about you. Everyone else was just collateral damage. And Grumpy's like, oh, remind me why we forgave her again. And She says, because I'm helping! But her real point is, because I'm one of the three competent characters on this show... Oh, speaking of competent characters, Robin Hood is there for some reason. 
Yeah. Regina asks, okay, so it, we should use the same logic you used when defeating me to defeat Zelina, because let's face it, she's dollar store me. And Snow's like, well, we had Rumple's help last time. Regina's like, good, because he's conveniently not dead anymore, so let's just break into his castle and, like, talk to him about this. And Robin Hood's like, it's not that easy to break in. There's all sorts of traps and stuff, which, number one, is weird, because that means that the Robin Hood that wasn't this actor was the same Robin Hood, the yeah. one who broke into Rumpel's palace. It's a plot point here. He he mentions, I've broken into this castle before. That's why you need to take me on this adventure. But it's great because Regina doesn't want to hear it. And she's like, do you even go here? He doesn't even go here. Like, this guy's clearly not part of our narrative. And also, he's a dirty, filthy peasant man who eats dirt. Regina's leaning real heavy on the classism here. I know, it's like... I love her anyway, but yeah, yeah, she's being real classist. Where I'm from, when people offer help, they get thanked. Where you're from, people bathe in streams. And use pine cones for money. She's so awful. But then it cuts from that to the two of them in modern day Storybrooke kissing. And she's like, why do you even like me? And it's like... Because you're incredible. Yeah, because you're played by the gorgeous and flawless Lana Perea. The question is, why are you settling so far down? Anyway, she's like, if you think I'm a good kisser now, you should see me with my heart. And he's like, so what does it feel like not having your heart? And she's like, it's like your foot's asleep, but in your emotions. That's a good good, uh, explanation. Anyway, Henry walks by and Regina freaks out for a second because she thinks he's going to be weirded out by his mom kissing a guy. And then she remembers that he doesn't remember her and it's super sad. Yeah, he's like, excuse me, Madam Mayor, you stranger person, and wanders off. And she's like, oh, God, my heart, which isn't in my body, but still. All right. I'm going to stop you. Okay. Let's talk about how gorgeous her dress is. It's flawless. It is a flawless, gorgeous red dress. And... Here's something that I think is important. Mm-hmm. Something that I think Miles would appreciate because you'll remember when he watched the show with us, he was really excited about them color coding characters. Yeah. And Regina's signature color would probably be black or maybe purple. And it's hard to have your signature color be black when you're fighting another evil witch because evil witches just have to wear a lot of black. So Zelina is coded green because. She- Duh. And even when she's, even when her skin isn't green, she's got the green pendant, she's got the green gloves, and I feel like they're really leaning on coating Regina red, just to give us that, like, back and forth this season. Well, I feel like red's always her secondary color, and, you know, outfits and stuff, she'll have the red hat, she'll have, like, the red piping, so they're sort of leaning more heavily on her secondary color. Well, I feel like if she has a secondary color, it was probably purple. Her magic is purple. Anyway. Uh, she she leaves Robin, and thank God, and goes to meet with the rest of the War Council, the Charmings, and Hook, except Hook isn't there, about how they're going to kill Zelina. They're, they decide that they need to finally get around to breaking the curse, because clearly, I guess, they had a plan to destroy her in fairy tale land, and that's why she cast the Dark Curse, they're assuming, so... Right. And they talk about how weird it is that she was able to cast the Dark Curse because, reminder for the audience, 
Casting the Dark Curse requires destroying the thing you love the most. Specifically crushing the heart of the thing you love the most. Which would be weird if... It should be person you love. Because thing, right, like, things cannot have hearts. Right, like the thing that... The thing that Rumpel loves the most is his power. So wait, could Rumpel have cast the Dark Curse if he abandoned his power? Hmm, that's an interesting concept. Although, we know that it's bullshit because Pan managed to cast it by sacrificing his favorite minion. And he super clearly did not love Felix. Like, Felix was useful to him. Yeah, Felix was like the horse that Regina kills at the beginning before she realizes she has to kill her father. Yeah, so... You know what? You you can you can probably bullshit around that. Oh, funny you should say that. Mm. Let's see if that happens later this episode. We'll get to that. But for now, Regina takes a page out of her mother's book because she's like, okay, so we need to remember what happened in the year in case we did have a plan. Right, we may already know how to defeat Zelina, she says. Which they do. And if we find out what she loved, we'll find her weakness. Yes, very Cora. Because love is weakness. Which, uh, we're going to see this episode with Henry, boy hostage. Oh, I would argue that that is not weakness. We'll talk about that. Ah, right. I feel like Roland has sort of taken the place of Henry as the show's go-to boy hostage. Well, that's because now Henry's a teenager and no one has sympathy for teenagers, whereas Roland is played by the world's most adorable child actor. Although, (laughs) it's kind of funny because we're actually liking Henry more now that he's older and more emotionally balanced. So now that we're finally at a place where we'd be sad if something bad happened to Henry, he's no longer the show's primary hostage. Yeah, I wouldn't say that you and I have normal reactions to things the way we're supposed to. Mm, Certainly not the way the show would like us to. So they may already know how to defeat Selena. So the goal now is to break the curse and get all of their memories back. And the last time they broke the curse, it was when Emma kissed Henry. Because... Parental love is true love, and that broke the curse. So, theoretically, they could do the same thing now, they decide. Emma points out that she already, like, the two things that made her break the first curse were believing in magic and kissing Henry, and she's done both. Now, that's a a new twist, right? Like, in season one, it was just kissing Henry. We didn't think that she had to believe in magic for it to work. Or am I not remembering that right? I was supposed to say it's been a while. It hasn't really, but this show is flibbity-flobby enough with continuity, so sure, why not? Her believing in magic was a necessary part of that. All right, I just don't feel like that was a thing that they... But Regina figures out, okay, so last time you didn't believe in magic and you needed true love's kiss, so this time Henry doesn't believe in magic, so he's the one who needs to believe in magic before true love's kiss can break the spell. So they realize that the thing that made Emma believe in magic was this book, which is also the thing that made Henry believe in magic originally. So You know what actually made Emma believe in magic was Henry going into a coma and then fighting a dragon, but okay, whatever. I know, I know. You know, the book is a lot easier if the book is the key than if Maleficent is the key, because who even knows if she's alive? Well, she was that weird smoke monster thing in the basement. Yeah, she's not alive. Or is she? Anyway, they decide they have to find the storybook, which at least they won't open it. and We won't have to look at the terrible illustrations. I'm just going to say that. Emma's bummed, though, since, you know, she and Henry had a good life in New York and she's really she she's 
She's been on her I don't like fairy tale stuff horse all season, and that's never going to stop ever in this show, but I feel like we should probably stop talking about it because it's just a regular part of the show now. Well, actually, we're going to have to talk about it a little more in a few scenes, but yeah, I mean, she's the savior, and the deal with the savior is they just want to have a normal life and not have to save things all the time. We learned that from Buffy. Hmm. So, Zelina's waiting somewhere in town to give Rumple a rose in exchange for Hook, who's in the trunk of a car, and... This is a really weird season of The Bachelor. This is just a very bizarre setup, because she could have just talked to him. Yeah, no, she had Rumple snatch Hook so that she could give him a hard... So, well, I was gonna say so she could give him a hard time, but let's be honest. It's so that she could catch up the audience. Yeah, she rubs the rose over Hook's lips in an incredibly sexual fashion. Yeah, it's really creepy. Hook's tied up in the trunk of the car and she's just rubbing the rose on his face and she's like, you need to kiss Emma to remove the magic, otherwise I'm going to kill Henry. You got that, audience? Yeah, I know we went over this in a couple episodes ago, but people might just be joining us. So, or I, so kiss Emma or I will kill Henry. And then she closes the trunk. She He's not going to be able to kiss her from the inside of a trunk. Oh, your high school days must have been a lot less adventurous than mine were. So back in fairytale land, Regina's about to open the door to Rumpel's castle, but Robin shoots an arrow at it and triggers the trap that would have burned her hand off. The- yeah. And you know what? It's like, she's really annoyed at him, and he's like, I saved your fucking life. And he's right but I'm just still going to go ahead and be on her side if you don't mind. It looks like that was the one trap, too, because they go straight from that to a room where Rumple's in a cage, uh, spouting off stereotypical I've-lost-my-mind dialogue. Which... Rhyming dialogue. Yeah. Although he points out he did not lose his mind. He has two minds now. Yep. Anyway, he tells them that the way to defeat Selena is with light magic. Yeah, okay, I just, can we talk about, like... Uh, This really bugs me. Yep. So, you know, when you get to the boss battle, you have to know their weakness to defeat them. That's just the way this stuff works. Otherwise, anyone could have killed them at any time. Like, it's the only way that power differentials work. You know, Zelina is more powerful, but they know her weakness. Okay. Because if they were more powerful, they could have just killed her in the diner. Yeah. Which they totally could have. Yep. So, I I get the boss battles. The boss has to have a weakness. But light magic seems like a really bad weakness. It's super general. So, you know. I don't get why the fairies couldn't have just kicked her ass. Is fairy magic that different from light magic? It seemed like it was sort of the same thing earlier. Well, I mean, this heavily implies, as I know you believe, that fairy magic is in fact dark magic. Mm. Mm. But also, it's not clever. And the fact that they go through so much work, even casting the dark curse, and then they have to go through all this stuff to break the curse, to remember that the key is light magic, it's not a satisfying payoff because it's the kind of thing that you could have stumbled upon with button mashing. It's literally Emma's go-to move. It's literally the first spell she ever did was a light magic blast. Before she even knows that this is Selena's weakness, she's going to use light magic against Selena. Like, it makes all of this feel like it was totally pointless. Yeah, we're getting into the pointless time-wasty bits of the season. All right, let's talk about this pointless garbage. Rumple's all like, 
Oh, Zelina's weakness is light magic, and you should talk to the good witch of the south. And he totally says Galinda. Yeah, he says you should talk to Galinda, the good witch of the south. Uh, the subtitle says Glinda, but he clearly says Galinda. And so we know Robert Carlyle likes Wicked. Right? When Belle repeats it back, she says Glinda, and everyone says Glinda from then on. Yeah. But he clearly said Galinda, which is from Wicked. From the upper uplands? <laughs> I feel like this season borrows heavily from, from like the tone and feel of Wicked, although nothing outright from the story. You mean no one has sex with a tiger? No one has sex with a tiger. You know what? Spoiler alert from the book version of Wicked, but some pretty fucked up stuff happens there. The Wicked book series is pretty fucked up. Like, I feel like multiple people get garped in it. Okay, I only liked Wicked. I couldn't get through Son of a Witch, and I didn't even try to read um, A Lion Among Men. I liked Son of a Witch enough. I mean, I thought it was pretty good, but... I don't know. I like Wicked so much that I really wanted to like anything else that Gregory Maguire wrote, and I didn't like anything else that he wrote. Yeah, I read a bunch of his other stuff and just nothing clicked for me. I read everything else he wrote. And what's funny is the book that he wrote about Jack the Ripper made me really interested in Jack the Ripper, but I don't really like that book. But everybody uh, who listens to our podcast who hasn't read the book should read it, especially if you've seen the musical but not read the book, you should definitely read the book. They're so different, but they're both so good. Yeah, it's sort of unfair when people compare and contrast. It's a little bit like the Stardust book and the Stardust movie, where they're very clearly the same story, but they're also their own animals. Well, what I think is really interesting about Wicked is that the book is really set in the Oz of the Oz novels. And it takes a lot of the imagery from those novels and kind of twists them around. And it's like, what if, what if the Wicked Witch was in fact a revolutionary? It's, and the stage play takes a lot from the Judy Garland musical. Yeah. And it has all of that imagery in it. Yeah, it's, it's really fascinating. It's very cleverly done. So let's go back to this show. This, sub, this show that I, is more and more subpar now that I'm thinking about Wicked. So Rumpel tells them to go find Galinda, that she's been banished to the north part of this country for some reason, to the Enchanted Forest, and that she's behind a magic door that only the pure of heart can enter because, ugh, it's a... Well, no, that's fine. That's fine. Heart purity. Well, I mean, purity is a pretty gross and racist concept. I think it transcends, like, race, gender, and whatever to just be a generally gross concept. No matter what context you're taking purity in, whether it's, you know... Yeah, if anyone's talking about purity, you probably don't want to be around them. Yeah. But, so, Rumpel gives them this bit of information, and they're like, oh, he's talking nonsense! He's talking in riddles, but it's not a riddle. It's a straightforward thing. Go to this one place, go through this magic door... Talk to Glinda. Like, he told them everything to do, and they're like, well, I guess Rumple's no help. Let's just wander around the woods in this place. Let's wander around the Dark Forest. Wait, was it the Dark Forest in Neverland? I'm almost entirely certain it was. Is this a different Dark Forest? I know that they're obsessed with using the word dark to describe everything in this show, but... So they're going to enter the Dark Forest, but those who are pure can cross through into the White Lands and talk to the Good Witch. 
The Good Ugh. Witch who is coated white. And when I say coated white, I don't mean like coated white race. I mean the way Zelina is coated green, she is coated white, which I'm going to argue does in fact go back to race. It's kind of creepy. So back in Storybook, they're talking about where the book could possibly be. Mary Margaret brings up the fact that it just sort of magically appeared in her closet. Right, because Henry needed it. Because Henry didn't believe that anyone loved him. And then everyone kind of looks at Regina, who's like... Seriously, bros? Oh, poor Regina. Anyway, they all leave what was... what must... That must have been Emma's room in Granny's bed and breakfast. Yeah, because they leave through the diner where Henry's just chilling, having some presumably hot cocoa with cinnamon. Uh, with Leroy. I think Leroy's just there. <laughs> but yeah, Leroy's next to him. And they're like, okay, kid, we gotta go. We're on a mission. Now, Henry's been really good this whole season, but here he's he's reached his boiling point here because he's like, okay, you've been abandoning me for like weeks at this point and not telling me anything. I really want to know what's going on. And Emma says she can't tell him, but, you know, she'll fill him in when she can. And he accuses her of lying, which I made a notation in my notes. Is Emma lying to Henry? I don't think she is. Like, she's obviously not telling him the whole story, but she's also telling him that she can't tell him the whole story. It's not lying, but they very clearly had this... Gilmore Girls-esque, super close, share-everything relationship. So I sort of get where Henry's coming from. Like, I mean, I get why he's mad, but, okay, so if I came home one night at, like, 2 a.m., and you were like, where have you been? And I said, I can't tell you. Your response wouldn't be, you're lying. It would be, no, I'm pretty sure you need to tell me where you've been. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't push it, because I'd assume you had good reasons, but... Right, I mean, we respect each other's autonomy, but... Also, neither one of us are the other one's parent, so it's not an exact parallel. Okay, if some imaginary kid of ours came home at two in the morning, I damn sure want to know where they were. Mm. But if they wouldn't tell me, I wouldn't say they were lying. I would just say they were grounded until they told me. But Emma's like, shut the fuck up, Henry. Shut up, Wesley. Okay, so Emma is like super mean to Henry. And they don't explicitly say that this is what they're doing. But they were just talking about how Henry needs to feel really alone and feel like he needs the book before the book will reveal itself to them. And that is really what Emma is doing to him. Yeah, she's isolating him. But he's like, okay, can I have your car keys? Because I left my Game Boy in the car. And if I'm going to be held prisoner, I'd like to at least have my Game Boy. And Emma's suspicions are like, not there. Because clearly he wants them so he can take off. And she just gives them to him without even thinking about it. I think her guilt is clouding her natural instinct to not do stupid things. One of the things I like is there's a giant billboard for the game of thorns in the backdrop of the the scene as henry runs the car yeah i was like oh hey bell's dad's alive mr french because elena was too lazy to make a whole new curse she just threw him back in the old one well whoever cast the curse oh yes of course of course so hook stops henry from getting in the car And Hook says, you had one driving lesson and you killed, like, a bunch of people. Maybe you shouldn't drive back to New York. 
Yeah. And he's like, I'm not. I'm just going to drive to the bus station, which is a great answer. But Hook has an alternate, you know, path to New York. He's like, oh, I will get you to New York. Just follow me. So while they're doing that, everyone else is in Snow's loft, ransacking her closet, looking for the for the book. And David has a 90s stand-up comedian thing where he's like, oh, look at all these shoeboxes. Women in shoes, am I right? Okay. When they're not eating chocolate or, you know, whatever. And Snow's all like, oh, yeah? Well, men never ask for directions and they're always leaving the toilet seat up. It's worse than that. He's not even complaining about how many shoes she has. He's complaining that she saves the boxes. That women. And he's like, why do women save the shoe boxes? And it's like, to keep the shoes in, David. Dumbass. They stack all nice and neat. Look, I'm sorry. I know it's about kidnapping and brainwashing a woman for sex. But that shoe closet... That Kurt Russell builds for Goldie Hawn in Overboard is really amazing. I really want to see that cut of uh, Overboard that they mention in Happy Endings, the alternate ending where she decides to be rich and alone. <laughs> I'm just... Overboard is a really fucked up movie. I, mm. I know I'm not the first person to say this. I'm also not the first person to say that I might give it up to a guy who, who built me that closet. <laughs> because I definitely, definitely would. I'm not saying kidnapping is okay. I'm just saying that just the closet is hashtag relationship goals. So anyway, they're tearing through her closet looking for the book. And Emma goes through a box and doesn't find it. But then Mary Margaret goes through the box and she does find it. Because, whoa, magic or whatever. Well, okay. It's not magic, though. What happens is Emma pushes everything to to the right side of the box and is like, oh, no, no book here. And Snow's like, yeah, it is. It's in the right side underneath all the stuff you just pushed over. But that's not how everyone treats it. Everyone treats it like... Well, everyone treats it like it was magic except for Mary Margaret, who has a brief moment of motherly intuition here, where she realizes that Emma didn't want to see the book because Emma doesn't want to go back to the way things were. Good catch. I totally missed that. Yeah, she wants to go back to New York with Henry. And she tells Snow, you know, our life in New York was good. Emma's like, we were happy. And Snow's like, but we weren't there. And Emma's like, yeah, I know. Weird. Weird, right? Emma goes into a thing, which we've talked about this a lot. And well, I is... feel like we need to stop talking about it at some point because it's been every episode. But Emma talks about. Well, this is the moment when I said, you know, we're going to have to come back this episode to the savior not wanting to be responsible for everything. Yeah, she's like, again, I've been sick of fairy tale bullshit since the beginning, and I really, I had a break from that, and that just makes coming back to all of this so much worse. Maybe some other woman will reveal her savior-like tendencies this very episode, and Emma can hang up her hat? What does a savior have? Her Uh, glowing hands. Her glowing glowing hands. That's just weird. (laughs) It sounds like a sex thing. But... Mary Margaret's like, I don't know how to deal with this, so let's just leave. Okay, let's go to the flashback. Oh god, this is the worst. David picks a snowbell for snow, for luck. Uh... And he hands it to her, and he's being all schmoopy, and Regina... Regina's like, we are, in the... we are on a mission. You two need to stop with this. 
yeah she's like we don't have time for this like schmoopy love bullshit like come on we need to and it's like regina i understand you want everyone to be focused maybe if you wanted people to focus more you should not be wearing the most amazing outfit that gives me so many feelings i i can't even with her outfit it's the leather pants with the jacket over and the jacket is blue and tight and has a fur collar and fur cuffs and a sparkly cape. I want the outfit. It was worth the Muppet that gave its life for that uh, purple fur, blue fur. It's blue. It's blue. Yes. As long as it wasn't Grover, because as we all know, Grover is the best Muppet. How many cookie monsters had to die for that jacket? <laughs> it was worth it. But... I just... Honestly, Regina all the time, but especially in this scene, really makes me feel the Crazy Ex-Girlfriend song, Feeling Kind of Naughty, which is a song I really relate to because I feel like it's about having a crush on a girl and being like, I want to be with you and I want to be you. And that's how I feel about Regina all the time. I want to be you and I want to be with you. It also helps that she's calling out david and mary margaret for their schmoopy bullshit because she's like you don't have time to like exchange roses and david does the smug like it's not a rose it's a snowbell like that makes it better david that makes it worse anyway there's a door in the middle of the clearing and they're like oh like from rumple's riddle no from the thing rumple told you to go look for dumbasses he it, it wasn't a riddle he explicitly told you to find the door in the woods and go through it if you're pure of heart Ugh. anyway apparently david and snow are both pure of heart because they both walk through and regina's like oh that's easy yeah regina's like oh so it's just a portal that has a Cloaking like spell yeah, okay, I get it. And then she walks through it and nothing happens and she's like, ugh. Honestly, that scene, like the, the just the way she plays it is great and perfect and hilarious because she's just so irritated. Yeah, it's exasperation more than anything else. Apparently throwing a baby into a death pit doesn't so much count for a... Yeah, apparently that doesn't blacken your heart. So... You know what that kind of reminds me of? The whole, you know, pure of heart thing. I don't know if you did this because this is sort of obscure, but... Uh, there was a Buffy the Vampire Slayer video game. I never played a Buffy the Vampire Slayer video game. Okay, there were a few of them. The one that I had was called Chaos Bleeds, and it was actually really good. What system was it for? Uh, PS2. Okay. The, the plot is basically a whole bunch of alternate versions of characters are coming through from alternate dimensions. And each one of the Scooby gang, like, it takes place in season five, and each one of the Scooby gang has to face a different, like, uh, Xander has to face Anyanka, and Faith has to face uh, Kakistos, and they're helped out by an alternate dimension, Sid the Dummy. It's like a continuity porn video game. <laughs> it's fun, because you get to play as all of these different Buffyverse characters. And uh, then in the end, you know, you're Buffy again, and uh, you have to go up against, I think it's the Master... I really want to play this. It's a lot of fun. And the person who's guiding them is all, okay, so the only person who can go through has to be uh, pure of heart. And Faith says, is that a virginity thing? Because in this crew, we might be out of luck. (laughs) What does it end up being? It ends up being Buffy because, you know, she's the protagonist. But but she has this thing where she's like, no, purity, pure of heart means like, inherently a good person it doesn't 
sex doesn't reflect on that. Like, I, I remember seeing this. Um, that actually reminds me of a, a webcomic, and I wish I could remember who did it. But the, you know, it was a it was a young vampire who didn't want to kill, and and you know, as a vampire, she had to kill an innocent. And so she was just really torn up about it until her mentor was like, oh, no, no, innocent is just, like, our slang word for anyone who's not a vampire. So then she kills some asshole guys. There was a thing about that in a DC comic in The Outsiders where there was uh, one of uh, Captain Marvel's old villains, one of Shazam's old villains, was trying to bring himself back to full power. Uh, He needed to sacrifice a busload of innocence in order to restore his power and he captured this bus full of people and he's like how can i be sure that they're all innocent and the demon that's helping him out him out was like okay remember you need to sacrifice innocence by hell's standards this random busload of people is going to be fine it's kind of like at the end of cap <laughs> it's kind of like at the end of cabin in the woods when uh, the director is saying that all the people that need to be sacrificed and she's like virgin and the director says, you know, we we make do with what we have. Okay. I think we've gone far enough down <laughs> oh, this Oh, you hole. don't have another? It's kind of like... I'm just saying we could keep going with this for a while. I know. We really don't want to talk about this Narnia scene, do we? All right. So David, no. So David and Mary Margaret go through the portal, which is apparently a portal to Narnia because that is where they are. Well, which is weird because, you know, Glinda is there. Dressed all in white. Gorgeous white dress, by the way. Mm. And she's got a white version of Selena's amulet. Yeah, that's interesting. Mm. And she, she's looking very Snow Queen, standing in this snow-covered terrain, dressed in all white. See, this is specifically a punishment for her because she's Glinda of the South, so she's trapped in an icy wasteland. Sure. I'm just saying, more frozen foreshadowing? Question mark? Because she does kind of look a lot like the Snow Queen. Yeah. And that's definitely the sort of thing the Snow Queen, yeah, she visually calls forward. Forward, yeah. Anyway, like you said, she's wearing a pendant similar to Zelina's, except hers is white, whereas Zelina's is green. And she tells David and Mary Margaret the thing we all know, that Zelina can be defeated by light magic. David, before she does this, David's like, how come... Regina couldn't go through the portal, which do you really need to ask, but... Remember all this time she tried to kill you and your wife? Remember all of those peasant villages she torched for pretty much no reason? Remember literally everything you know about her? Remember that time a dog told you that she committed murder? But Glinda's like, yeah, she's got a heart full of vengeance, and apparently tricking someone into killing their own mother and throwing a baby into a death pit means you're A-okay in my book, so... Yeah, yeah. But yeah, light magic is the only thing that can defeat Selena. But apparently light magic stronger than her light magic because she couldn't do it. Uh, also, she talks about how she and Zelina used to be friends. So, speaking of wicked... Long ago. Callbacks. At college. Anyway. So, she, yeah, she tells them that Zelina's super powerful, so only a really powerful light magician could defeat her. And Snow's like, oh, is this about us? Because we have a daughter. Who's the product of true love? Because we have true love. Yeah, you could tell that. You know that we have a pure heart. And Glinda says, you actually have two hearts because you're pregnant and that means you have two hearts. Well, you do. Yeah, I mean, you have... Okay, so... Uh, 
there were... I mean, there are two heartbeats. But yeah, white magic is the only a uh, light magic is the only thing that can f- defeat Zelina, and also Zelina's power source is. She's like, when I first met her, Zelina had powerful magic, and I gave her an amulet that made her magic more powerful, but it also trapped it in the amulet, so if you get the amulet, then uh, she won't have powers anymore. Well, she, she learned to focus her powers through the amulet, so if you destroy it, she won't be able to perform magic anymore, much like wands in Harry Potter. Mm. Mm. Yeah, mm. Same, same general idea. Anyway, they're like, oh, but we cursed our daughter to another realm we, we we don't know how to get back to her and uh and glenn is like well looks like you're boned then also i have questions about the whole if Zelina's weak to light magic shouldn't it not matter that glinda's weaker than her i mean yes glinda should oh i mean oh. if if she's weaker to magic that's stronger than her, shouldn't it not matter what kind of magic it is? Yes. Like. Yes. I mean, I I just said that. Like, that's the thing about a boss battle. When you know her weakness, it doesn't matter that she's stronger than you. But, uh, I mean. What, we know that it needs to be. Well, this this is why this is why light magic being her weakness is dumb. It should have been some other thing about Emma that let her defeat her. Preferably something about Emma having been raised in the world without magic that let her defeat her. That would have been clever and much better. Like well, like when Buffy defeats the judge. Yeah. Yeah, things have changed since your day. But yeah, this whole light magic thing is I mean, I I I sort of like what they end up doing with it, but it also really really doesn't work. We're all glad that Zelina's defeat ended up going the way it went. It's an awesome moment for the characters involved, but it's built on a foundation of bullshit. It it doesn't make the investigation of the way to take her down satisfying. It's not a satisfying payoff to the episodes that come before. Hmm. And there's a lot of unnecessary sacrifice. You know, I I think it's a good thing that the show cut seasons in half because... Because all of these arcs could have done with being a few episodes shorter. Can you imagine if we were fighting Zelina for 22 episodes instead of, like, the 10 that we are? Yeah, I mean, really, if they had... Really, they could have pared this down to, like, seven episodes and it would have worked better. They should have filled it out with some more Monster of the Week episodes, as I think you mentioned last week. Mm. But Snow's like, she's trapped in another land and our only way to get there is the Dark Curse, so let's go do that. Okay, th- yeah, okay. Oh, okay. (laughs) So, the dark curse. Regina's like, yes, there are no other ways to get to the world without magic than the dark curse. And David, to his credit, is like, what about all of the other ways we've used? And Regina's like, like, nope, nope, no other ways. Yeah. Yeah, David's like, okay, but what about magic beans? What about magic slippers? What about mermaids? What about Jefferson's hat? What about that random tornado? Yeah. And and, and Regina's like, no, nope. When we uh, when we destroyed the dark curse, we sealed off all realms from each other, which... Well, they sealed off the world without magic from all other but realms. That's not what she says, though. She says that all realms have been sealed off from each other, which... Is not true. But whatever. The important thing is that they're going to need to cast another dark curse. And Regina's like, well, I can't crush Henry's heart. And Snow says, there has to be another way to cast the dark curse. And Regina's all, 
you think I would have killed my dad if there was another way to cast the Dark Curse? And then they realize maybe they can, maybe someone else can cast the curse. And that means Snow and David. And one of them is going to have to sacrifice the other, and it's going to be David because Snow's pregnant. Mm-hmm. And, okay, can I just say that I have this fantasy where they're standing over the dark curse, and Snow takes David's heart and crushes it, and the curse doesn't work, and Snow's like, well, this is awkward. <laughs> Turns out David wasn't the thing I love the most. Sorry, Whoops. David! That's not what happens, but that's my fantasy. Well, Snow can't rip out her own heart. <laughs> also... A lot of this episode... God, we're only halfway through. A lot of this episode is predicated on false tension because we know David's alive in the current timeline. And even if we didn't, we know that Snow and David never have to pay for their sacrifices. Yeah. Again, their thing is being like, we're going to sacrifice ourselves and that being enough. They never actually need to sacrifice anything. Back in the present, Emma is realizing that Henry has taken off and that is bad. Regina suggests using a locator spell to find him because locator spells are a thing again. But Emma's like, nope, I had him chipped. Okay, I mean, she has a GPS on his phone. Mm. When we have children, we are totally putting GPS on their phone. Yeah, we have GPS on each other's phones. We do, yeah. But uh, she sees that Henry's at the docks. And at the docks, Hook is introducing Henry to Smee. And Henry's like... Oh, you mean, like, from Peter Pan? And Smee has this moment where he's like, wait, so you remember? And Henry's like, I remember watching a Disney movie. I've seen it a bunch of times. I think Hook's cover is pretty good, which is like, well, no, Smee is is a common seafaring name. That's why they used it in the story. And it's not weird at all that a guy who's got a hook for a hand is friends with a guy named Smee. Don't think (laughs) about it too hard. Well, I mean, to be fair... If, if you weren't into Once Upon a Time, if Once Upon a Time had not entered the popular imagination... That's not how you would picture Captain Hook. That is not how you would picture Captain Hook. Henry's really quick on the uptake, though, because Hook's story is that Smee is going on a trip to New York and he will take Henry. And Henry's like, so you're going to steal a boat and help me get to New York for no reason? And Hook's like, yeah, okay, yeah, you got me. Do you want to go to New York or not, kid? But then, flying monkey attack. Yep, flying monkey attack. So, remember that bit where the flying monkeys are friends and family of the main cast that got turned into flying monkeys by Zelina? I know, that's going to make this really hard, because when they go to kill the flying monkeys, they're going to have to find a way to disable them without just destroying them, because the flying monkeys are their friends, and, oh wait, never mind, Hook's just going to shoot them, and then they're going to disintegrate. Yeah, so... Hook kills a bunch of background characters. Uh, actually, everyone kills a bunch of background characters. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, Hook doesn't kill a bunch of background characters. Hook kills two because he has a two-shot pistol. And then he shoots at a third because somehow he can't count to two. Hey, hey, hey. Actually, I didn't have anything. <laughs> it's dumb. <laughs> First, who has a two-shot pistol? Oh. Because it's like an old school pirate pistol. That's that makes sense. Why does he have an old school pirate pistol? What's I thought he took a gun. I thought the gun that he had was the one he took from Tamara. Which, well, the gun he might have taken Tamara's gun, but the gun that he's firing is just an old school is is like an is an old fashioned pistol that okay. only had two shots. Okay, so at some point he was like, okay, this gun is really good, but I'm gonna find one that fits my aesthetics better. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what happened. That is one. Have you seen the way the man dresses? 
point. That is what that is what happened. Now, the flying monkeys, by the way, when they get hit, just disintegrate, which I'm sure standards and practices was very happy for. Mm. We don't have any dead flying monkeys, or even worse, dead human bodies having reverted back to their human form, just lying around rotting. But Hook runs out of bullets immediately, and uh, luckily Emma is here to shoot more of her friends and family, and... And, and and David. And David throws a sword, which actually works for once. Regina fries one of them. She's like, I never liked pets, and she fries one of them. These are people you know. Like, a good third of the dwarves got turned into flying monkeys. One of those could be Aurora, you got Oh my god. I, I suspect David knew that one of those monkeys was Philip, and is like, you're not taking this narrative. And then Henry's like, wait. Why does he have a sword and not why did Regina throw fireballs? And why are there flying monkeys? <laughs> what? Like, that is the least, that's the least relevant question here. Although I appreciate that when you're overwhelmed, you probably just ask whatever. But Emma hands him the book and she's, and she's like, this will explain everything. And he's like, bad Photoshop will explain why there are goddamn flying monkeys. And actually, honestly... The show was like, we do not have time for Henry to sit and read the book or have the plot explained to him. So as soon as he hangs on to the book, like, the the magic happens and his memories all come back. Well, Emma tells him, he's like, you want me to believe in fairy tales? And she's like, I want you to believe in me and hands him the book. And then when he touches the book, he gets a whole bunch of jump cut and like, well, flashbacky. We get flashes of prior episodes so that we understand that Henry is remembering everything. It was really sweet. It is sweet because he he says, like he says, mom to Emma. And then he says, mom to Regina. He sees her and he recognizes she runs up up and hugs him. And it's so sweet. And he's like, I remember. I remember everything. And you were there. And you were there. And you were there. and... And then Emma leans down to kiss him because, you know, that's what broke the curse the first time. But before she can, Zelina shows up and teleports him into her hostage situation. Selena is not a great aunt. Also, Selena is not very bright because... Her weakness is is light magic. So she's doing the one thing that guarantees that Emma is going to cast light magic against her. Yeah. Hmm. Light magic is powered by love, specifically protecting the people you love. I know. I'm going to take the most powerful light magic user's son and threaten to kill him. To her face! Like... Think things through, Zelina, for like a second. Well, luckily she knows that there's still a few more episodes before the end of the season. Right. Because she's magically choking Henry while actually choking Henry. Yeah, and she does manage to deliver the party-splitting knowledge that Hook was working for her. Except not really. I mean... Yeah, she's like, Hook, you failed me, so now I have to strangle this child. And Emma's like, not on my watch, biatch. And she shines a light at her. Did they run out of budget? Because they just sort of open a spotlight on Zelina. Oh, that's what light magic looks like. Well, normally it's like CGI whiteness. This time it was just like shining a bright light on her and then she's like a Buffy versus vampire and bursting into flames. Yeah, it's true. I don't know. Anyway, she bamps out. Yeah. Yeah, for some reason, Emma decides not to just finish the job because, I don't know, she also knows that it's not the last episode yet. Yeah, she's like, I'm just going to hurt you enough to get your hands off Henry and I'm not going to just kill you right now, which I could very easily do. (laughs) Anyway. 
back in the flashback. Oh, are we are we at the part that is the biggest bullshit in this episode? Not yet. Okay. We're not to the big bullshit yet. Right now, we're just casting the dark curse. Okay. I, I okay. I feel like what I'm going to say is a little like schmaltzy. Okay. I'm going to say it anyway. Um. You are the thing that I love the most. And if I had to choose between you and the whole world, the rest of the world can go fuck themselves. So I don't know what is up with Snow and David. Ser- yeah, seriously, I would not sacrifice you for... But, see, the difference between you and me is that we're not the main characters of a narrative. I fully believe that the whole reason they're going through with this is because they know that they're not going to have to go through with it. I know that's a weird sentence. The reason they're going through with it is because they know they don't have to they go They know the it. consequences won't stick. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, look, this is bullshit, but I can't be too mad at the bullshit that happens knowing that in the last season it's going to result in the most hilarious sneakers So they go through this whole thing where David's like, you have to crush my heart. And so it's like, I can't crush your heart because I love you. And he's like, I'll always, we'll always find each other. Except he doesn't say that. He doesn't, he doesn't even take advantage of their arc words because that's how much he knows he's not about to die. Yeah, he says, you're not going to lose me. Okay, but what he does say that's important is, we've always shared one heart. (sighs) It's not how hearts work, David. I mean, except, (laughs) I guess except they do. So he's like, just shut up and take my heart. Regina's sort of standing looking off in some random direction while the two of the, while the Charmings are schmooping at each other. She's like, this is so uncomfortable. And the thing is, like, this is being played for high drama, except we know David's going to be fine. He's been a character in the rest of this, like, this is such false drama. Yeah. I mean, you know I will cry at anything. It's not even a tear. Not not even I couldn't I can't muster up a tear for this scene. So David tells Regina to do it and she's like, you know this is gonna hurt, right? I feel Which... like she could have done it without hurting him. I like to think that she chose to make it hurt. You made me listen to that, so I'm gonna make this as painful as possible for you. Yeah, and she does. Apparently it's super painful to have your heart pulled out. I mean Except... people always gasp when it happens. It's Yeah, I guess. I guess having someone reach their hand inside of your chest would hurt. So I really feel like I'm Regina here, where she's got the heart and it's just like, she's like, oh my god, can we just get on with this and crush it? Except she knows that it has to be Snow who crushes it. So she's like, don't crush the heart. Don't crush the heart. Don't crush the heart. (laughs) So she gives it to Snow, who does, in fact, reluctantly crush it into the dark curse potion. Yeah, she, and David falls over. Because he's dead. He's he's definitely going to stay dead. Totally dead. Because remember, one of the cardinal rules of magic in this show... Is that magic always comes with a price? No. One of the very, very firmly established rules is that you can't bring back someone who died with magic. Okay, that they're not breaking that rule, though. This isn't Buffy rules, where if someone died magically, you can bring them back with magic. Like, this was a thing. This is why the whole Frankenstein thing with uh, Daniel didn't work, because dead is supposed to be dead. I mean... The whole thing with Rumple was only supposed to work because he was the dark one, and his, also his death made no sense, but, like, this is breaking one of the fundamental rules of this show. I mean, I'm not going to get too mad at that, because 
this show doesn't seem to care a lot about its internal rules. But anyway, Zelina flies in on a broom and... <laughs> it looks so stupid. <laughs> I, they had to keep the Wicked Witch aesthetic. I I know, but she's just like, it. it's so awkward looking. <laughs> she looks so uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, she she pours something into the potion as she flies in, which is a very maleficent thing to do you know well Well, not maleficent but the but the good fairies from sleeping beauty because she can't stop the dark curse but she can change it and she changes it to make them all forget their memories once the curse is enacted so they might find emma but they're not going to remember that emma is the answer and they're not even going to remember the questions they're not going to know who zelina is and more importantly they're going to spend all of their time looking futilely for david because they won't even remember that he's dead and zelina says rightly to regina that is how you get revenge that is how you take away a happy ending and she's right she's not wrong yeah which true Regina should have just killed David a long time ago. That would have been the most effective way to get rid of Snow's happiness, blah, blah, blah. But You know, I think, well, firstly, I think what we know is that Regina isn't truly evil to a point that she can do really cruel things the way Zelina does. That's why all of her evil plans fall apart. And also, I'm sure part of her was like, wait, I just can't accept that killing David will somehow make Snow unhappy. To me... No, no, I, I think you're 100% accurate there. She's like, no, it's crueler to have Snow and David in each other's lives. Crueler to everyone who has to see them. So back in Storybrooke, Regina got knocked out by Zelina. We kind of glossed over that because it's not super important. But Henry's acting like, oh, no, she's dead, which... She's not. She's fine. She wakes up. Yeah, she got pushed over magically by Zelina when Zelina was on her way out. But when she wakes up, she's so happy that he's back and has his memories back. That she kisses him on the forehead. And it breaks the curse. Because no, because she's the savior now, bitch. Yeah. And. Well, yeah. Foreshadowing, huh? Yes. This is some, actually, yeah, this is some serious foreshadowing for the end of the uh, season. Yeah. So they all get their memories back. And then David and Mary Margaret are like, oh, awkward. We cast the curse, you guys. Whoopsie doodles. I was like, wait, wait, wait. Um, if one of you cast the curse, how come the other one isn't dead? What aren't you telling me about the thing you love the most? What crazy bullshit did you guys come up with? Oh, what crazy bullshit indeed. And actually, I'm sorry, before we flash to the crazy bullshit, uh, they let Emma know the super important information they needed to give her, which was that Emma's light magic is what will defeat Zelina. And I was like, wow, it's a good thing we knew that because otherwise it wasn't like I've been training for several episodes to defeat Zelina. Okay, so this is one of those things where literally nothing would have changed if this episode had, well, I mean, a lot of stuff went forward, but their plan hasn't changed at all. It's still Emma uses magic to defeat Zelina. Okay, so remember when Pokemon Go came out and I started playing it even though I had never played Pokemon before? Mm-hmm. And uh, someone was like, yeah, uh, Fire creatures are weak against water creatures. And I was like, yeah, duh. It's like that. Yeah. Yep. It's. If you needed to read the manual to get Zelina is weak to light magic, all the light magic in the world isn't going to help you take her down. It's just the whole thing's pointless because as soon as Snow says, 
Selena's weakness is light magic and was like, oh, so I'm going to have to fight her like I was planning on doing anyway. I mean, all of these machinations were for nothing. I mean, I guess not nothing. Because, you know, they remember and blah, blah, blah. But... Well, I mean, they needed to get back to Emma. So back in the flashback. David is a. Uh... Are you ready for some bullshit? Oh, God, this, this I know, is I one know, of the worst things. I know you've been wanting to talk about this bullshit for like the last two hours. I've been wanting to talk about this bullshit for, like, a week. It's... So, Mary Margaret realizes that... As she's clutching David's corpse, she realizes that... Metaphors are real in fairy tale land, and they share one heart. As has been awkwardly shoved in all episode. So, all she needs is for Regina to take out her heart, break it in two like it's some sort of... Lego. Cardiac liver and shove half into each of their chests and her love will keep them both alive. It, okay, so there's there's a few issues with this. There There's a lot of issues with this. There are so many issues with this. First of which being, you can stuff as much crap as you want into a dead person. They're staying dead. Also, David should go through the same thing that uh, Daniel went through when they put a new heart into him to bring him back to life after he died in literally the exact same fashion. Hmm. Also, also, ripping Snow's heart in half should kill her. Is that different enough from crushing? It's, it doesn't seem like it is. But... But it works. Also, 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 also. So... Snow's not going to go under a sleeping curse to keep Selena from her baby, because that might be bad for the baby, but having your heart ripped out is awesome for the baby. Well, the baby has its own heart. But, yeah, sure, why not? Regina takes out Snow's heart, rips it in half, shoves half into David, and oh, everything's fine now. Yep, everything's fine now. Okay. Okay, just... Just fuck this plot. This is, I mean... Ugh. No, David should have died and he should have stayed dead. And then there should have been this amazing reckoning later where Regina and Snow bonded over the fact that they both lost their true love, even though Snow was the catalyst for the death of Daniel. Oh, it would have been amazing. I don't get it. I just, I, I don't, I don't get it. It's... Okay, whatever. Were people invested in the... I feel like I never see stuff for Mary, Margaret, and David. Do they have fans? Is that I a mean, thing? they must. I Like, I see shippers for everything else. But yeah, not really so much Snow and David shippers. And it's not just because they're a canon thing. Because I've, I've... There are a lot of Rumbell shippers and they're canon. Yeah, and there's a lot of uh, Captain Swan or yeah captain swan yeah like i've seen people who are really into canon couples but i've seen no stuff for david and mary margaret but the show keeps on going back to it i guess it's because it's part of the lore that they've got this epic love but uh, i don't i don't see it i don't yeah i don't see it either maybe there is a huge group no. of people out there who really like snow and charming i mean we have enough listeners if you are really into the snow and charming ship do let us know Although I feel like anybody who tuned into our show who was really into Snow and Charming would not have gotten this far into our podcast. No, we are not if, kind to them. If if um if they are out there and you are listening, no offense to you. Yeah, again, like people people should like what they like. Yeah, and people like if, different things. Even if it's Snow and David. 
So we should we should actually get around to finishing up the episode, shouldn't we? Yeah, yeah, okay. Anyway, so in the This is an actually charming scene where Henry is filling in Regina on his year in New York. Yeah, and he's talking about how much he loves pizza. He is obsessed with pizza. Well, he's from New York now. Uh, he's that guy who spent a year in New York and won't stop talking about it. He is. It's just, it's this really cute scene where he's and catching he, up Regina. With and everything. he starts quizzing Regina because he did see her kissing Robin Hood in the hallway. And she's like, oh, uh, don't worry about that. That was just a guy. That was just Robin Hood. And obviously he knows who Robin Hood is and he's very excited. I can see his little brain is like, I have two mothers. And one of them is dating Robin Hood. And one of them is dating Captain Hook. I have the coolest family ever. Even accounting for David and Mary Margaret. <laughs> so they go off to, I guess, have pizza and talk about how cool their new family unit is. Well, Emma pulls Hook to the side and she's like, seriously, dude, what the fuck? And you know what? She has a good point because he fills her in on the deal, which is that he had to steal her magic or else Selena was going to kill Henry. And so he tried to just get Henry out of town. And she's like, yeah, you should have filled me in on that instead of keeping it a secret. And she's not wrong. Yeah, she's like, this season we've all been really good about not keeping bullshit secrets for no good reason. Like, why did you go back on that? Yeah. And I mean, I see I see Hook's point. Because he knows that she would have done anything to protect Henry. And that means that she would have ha- let him take her magic. He also knows that that's what they need to do to defeat Selena. Like, it's weird that the reason he didn't do it is because he has so much faith in Emma. He has faith that Emma will defeat Zelina and be able to protect her family, even as Zelina threatens them. But he doesn't think that she'll make that decision. He thinks she'll decide to give up. But the plot was very, very briefly not about Mary, Margaret, and David because they come running up and they're like, he's been lying about more than that. You said that we gave you the message, but... The message and the remembering potion, but we didn't do that. You didn't talk to us about that. What a weird loose end to feel like they need to tie up, but they do. They We flash back one more time where we see Zelina taking a potion that's going to protect her memory once the dark curse hits and offering the potion to Rumpelstiltskin, although she makes it very clear that she does not give a shit if he takes it or not. Luckily, she leaves... You know, so she won't be there to witness Rumpel very briefly puking up Neil. Yeah, Rumpel and Neil, like, separate. And I know when we were watching this, you said it was weird that they separated and Rumpel was on the ground. Yeah. But I choose to believe that that was for our benefit. And it's not that Neil and Rumpel separated. It's just that Neil is now in charge. They could have just had him done the face swap thing that they were doing. Yeah, I, I just, I don't get why they didn't do that, but whatever. Uh, Rumpel pukes out Neil, and Neil uses his bird powers. Yes, to... powers to talk to birds that we've definitely seen before. Well, a bird brought him the postcard to let him know that the curse was broken at the beginning of season two. That just raises more questions because we never established how that postcard was sent. I'm pretty sure. I mean, I'm pretty we... sure they established that it was August, even though that makes no sense. Wait, we saw August sending it, but yeah, that doesn't make sense. And also, that means August can talk to birds too. So, is this just a thing? Can everyone talk to birds? Except for they make a big deal out of it being Mary Margaret's go-to move. That's why Hook assumed it was her. Anyway, he he sends the dove off with the with the memory potion and the note. So that's how. So now we know that's how Hook got the spell. 
And of all the loose ends that Once Upon a Time leaves, that one didn't really need to be tied up. But whatever. Well, that's nice to see Neil again. Yeah, it is nice to see Neil again. It makes me regret that we didn't get more stuff with Neil, especially because I would love to know how he learned the bird speaking trick. And you know, now that I think about it, I guess we did need that scene. Because once we find out how the curse was cast, well, I mean, no. They Snow could White have could just have had done Snow. it then. Yeah. yeah. Okay, that doesn't need it to It seems like a weird layer. So we cut from Neil sending the bird and then falling and then getting remerged back into Rumpelstiltskin to Henry and Emma at Neil's grave. Which is which, by the way, is in a clearing filled with gravestones. So did a bunch of uh, did they set up gravestones for all the people they killed as flying monkeys because that was definitely a clear field when they buried neil there yeah this is very it's very strange so henry and emma have a really nice moment where henry's like i'm glad i have context for what happened to my dad like yeah i really feel like i have closure this is a really and it's a really good moment between henry and emma and emma's glad that he has his memories back even though she was hesitant about it before because she knows it's what he would have wanted and so she was feeling guilty about not doing what she knows he would have wanted so that's all nice and henry points out he's like he points out very briefly he's like we were happy in new york but i'm glad i know everything and she's like we were happy in new york but i'm glad you know everything too and then mary margaret's like again this isn't about us it's not about us for like 10 seconds so i guess i'm gonna go into labor everyone look at me yep yep so that's gonna take us into the next week's episode kansas hmm. yep okay so there were a lot of things that pissed me off about this episode but at the same time it wasn't bad no uh, i was engaged the whole time it was overall i think this is a good episode i really really do um and well, the workaround so that David doesn't have to be dead is, in fact, a bullshit workaround. It doesn't make me as angry as it makes you. It's just, it's just they went through so much to establish rules of magic and only to break them all the time. Yeah. But whatever. I mean, you do know what you signed up for when we started doing this podcast. I it's do. A little late to get angry about it now. I'm just mad they had a perfect, they had a perfect way to get rid of David and they didn't. <laughs> No, nah, but whatever. It's it's fine. It's fine. So, it's fine. Let's talk about fashion because they brought it this episode. I know. That is the outfit they had snow in, the like red queen outfit with the slash sleeves. That's the best thing I think they've ever put Mary Margaret, they've ever put Jennifer Goodwin in. And I'm glad you said queen because she looked regal. She looked like a queen and as opposed to a bandit or a princess as she has in the past. It was yeah, and I mean, Lada Perea killed it with three different outfits this week, and all three of them were glorious. Yeah, her Cookie Monster winter wear. Her Cookie Monster winter wear made me feel deep, deep feelings. Uh, her snowflake high collar thing, which I love because it just means that she's gonna keep dressing like the evil queen no matter what her level of morality is. And, and then just her red storybook dress, which... Yeah. Uh, Lana Priya. Lana Priya is like God's grace, you know? There's nothing mankind can do to deserve her, and we're just blessed that we have her. Going to the extremes there. Am I wrong? 
Do you disagree? I do not. You are correct. But, uh... Okay, so our last segment... This is... Well, this is... We finished out, uh... Yeah, we finished out what the story is from Henry's point of view. Assuming that magic isn't real and his mom just brought him to this town in Maine for some reason. Because... I mean, what happens here is he reaches his breaking point and is like, okay, there's just so much bullshit going on right now. Like, I'm at the point where you literally need to tell me things. And And then a man in a hook introduces him to a man called Smee who's going to sail him to New York. And then flying monkeys attack and and someone's throwing swords for some reason. And then the segment is over because Henry has his memories back. It seems... So far, we haven't got a lot of it, but it seems like Henry's sort of maintaining his good kid persona. Like, we we only got a really little amount of it, but I was really worried that as soon as Henry got his memories back, he'd stop being likable, and it doesn't look like that happened no, from he the was, little bit we got. No, he was still nice to Regina, which is, as you know, what we care about. Yeah. So, next week will be Kansas. And, and the end of the main plot. Because then we'll go into the two-part season finale after that. But you know what this season does? I know, I know. Time travel. Uh, I was going to say it does what Buffy season four did with its... uh... Oh, sure, where it it ends penultimately. And then it, well, this one is really its own adventure that also sets up the next season, whereas Buffy season four was just kind of a standalone. Well, I feel like the ending also set up season five in that she had, that's the bit where she had the dream with Faith, right? Or no, that was when Faith came out of the coma when she had the yeah. little sisses coming. The dream that she had at the end of season four was the first Slayer. Which I do feel is sort of foreshadowing for the end of season five. You yeah. Know, the death is your gift thing. That's true. Yeah. They they did need to establish some stuff. Oh, and you notice how they set it up a season before they needed it. Mm. Unlike Once Upon a Time, which sets it up in the episode where they need it. I mean, heck, the Dawn stuff was seeded in early. Okay, I know we joke about... Not this not being welcome to the Hellmouth, but after we've talked about every episode of Once Upon a Time, welcome to the Hellmouth. We're doing that, right? Oh, yeah. Okay. So that'll be a few years from now, but uh, for now. (laughs) For now, if you like this show, please help us out by rating and reviewing us on iTunes. It helps other people find us. If you want to talk about this episode, head over to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash I Love Television Zines. If you have a question or comment, send us an email at ilovetelevisionzines at gmail.com or tweet at us at ilovetvzines. You can find past episodes or donate to our Patreon at our website, ilovetelevisionzines.com. So until next time, I'm Max. And I'm Tina. And this has been Welcome to Storybrook. Come on, come on, two of hearts, two hearts that beat as one. Two of hearts, I need you, I need you, two of hearts. Bye.